Welcome to the Saints of San Francisco podcast, where we dive into work, faith, and fulfillment. This is a podcast for the modern Christian professional. I'm your host, Isaac Hall. Welcome, Saints, back to the mental health series for this month. Uh, this is your host, Isaac Kong, and today we have a very special guest. And I think that on the previous episode with Grace Song, we uh, talked a little bit more about why um, this month I wanted to run a mental series uh, theme or mental health series theme. Uh, sorry. Um, so with that said, today's guest is interesting because we're talking about someone who works on the other side of the counter. Um, so uh, her name's Michelle Jane. Uh, she's currently uh, a therapist at a behavioral health clinic, but before that, um, she was a marriage family therapist and also is uh, certified or licensed for uh, couples therapy. Um, so she graduated with uh, an MA in marriage and family therapy and counseling, and then also got a BA in psychology. So I think it'll just be interesting to hear about the thoughts, opinions, and experiences for someone on the other side, because I personally don't have a lot of friends um, that's in, you know, like a, a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist. Um, so it's just really good to have someone um, come on with that kind of experience and perspective. Um, so with that said, Michelle, uh, welcome to the Saints of San Francisco podcast for the mental health series. Um, are you ready for uh, the rest of the podcast? Are you excited? Yes, I'm excited. Wait, but can I clarify one thing? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm not licensed yet. I'm an associate, um, and I'm currently working towards licensure. Oh, oh, for couples therapy. So, I mean, I'm certified for Gottman's okay couples therapy, but I um, am not a licensed marriage and family therapist. Oh, got it, got it. Sorry, yeah, I just wanted to make that clear. Hopefully. It was. If it wasn't, then Michelle, thank you so much for clarifying. I don't want you to get in trouble by like some kind of like mental health association or board. Seriously, mm -hmm. I'm like so, so ignorant about all of this. Um, so we'll start off with a quick icebreaker question. And the icebreaker question is, uh, replay a fun or deep moment in your life. If you could replay a fun or deep moment in your life, what would it be? Mm, I think for me, um, a fun memory for me would be back in elementary school, when I would get out of school, there'd be this um, person selling Otter Pops. Do you know what Otter Pops are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, oh. it's like the, yeah, it's like the, it's like it comes in different colors and it's in this like plastic bag and it looks like a stick. And then, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would just go out and I would always get the blue ones and I would suck on that and walk home with my brother. And I think that's one of the most 
memorable and fun moments because I was like stress-free, um, nothing to really care about, just sucking on my Otter Pop. And yeah, I think those are the memories that come to me. Oh, that's awesome. This, this so that's so wholesome. I feel like I would have said something completely different. Like um, I don't know when, like I graduated college, or I went to like that's I don't good. know something. I don't know something Big. you know, bigger. <laughs> yeah, but then I feel like that's so surface level. But um, yeah, that's. I feel like I have really good memories with my brother. Is your brother older or younger than you? Older than me. Yeah. Got it, got it. Same here. My brother and I are five years apart, um, but I'm pretty sure your brother is, like your age difference is a little bit less than mm-hmm. half a decade. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. I, I wonder what my experiences with my brother would have been like if you're closer in age, because like mm-hmm. the bigger the difference in age, you don't really do things together, you know? Like wow. I'm too young and he thought like I was too young and he was too cool to be hanging out with the younger brother who's like five years younger and um so oh that's awesome uh, you just made me reminisce about some of the good times i've had uh, with my brother um, as well um so thank you for that <laughs> yeah no problem cool 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 so i'm gonna start off this podcast by mentioning um a few high level stats um at least in california so in California, I didn't know, but nearly one in six uh, Californian adults experience some type of mental illness of some kind, uh, mild to severe. And apparently one in 24 have a serious mental illness that makes it difficult to just uh, continue normal life of some kind. And one in 13 children has had some kind of emotional disturbance that uh, limits participation in daily activities, and this is uh, from the CHCF, uh, California Healthcare Almanac, and um, those are pretty astounding numbers. And I'm sure that, you know, statistically, it's probably a little bit off, especially because a lot of people with mental health issues fall through the cracks, um, and like Asian Americans, especially. Um, the older generations don't really like to reveal the fact that. You know, their children have uh, mental health issues. But I mean, I just know from what happened last year due to uh, the pandemic and everyone just being at home and not being able to socialize and, and a lot of people like losing their jobs and things of that nature that um, mental health was definitely an issue. And I still think that it was kept under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's not enough awareness and exposure of mental health and uh, mental illness that, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of hard to change a culture to bring mental health into the forefront and have people take it seriously. And if you don't have that kind of change, then one, it's hard to diagnose mental health or mental uh, illnesses and two, to figure out solutions to it. Um, as an individual and as a family and as a community to support people with uh, mental illness. So I'm so excited to have you on. Um, so we're going to go to the first question. So you're a certified couples therapist, and then now you're getting licensure as a marriage family therapist. 
and then now you work in an institution for uh, behavioral health and wellness. Um, so could you briefly go over how you ended up um, in this field, like how you first got interested and when you decided to become a therapist and what advice you have for people trying to get into the field? Yeah, so originally I was a child development major um, because I love children um, and I didn't want to become a teacher. I knew I wanted to do something more intimate with children. Yeah. Um, so it kind of led me into wanting to do therapy. But the more I thought about it, I knew that like my heart was big for children, but it was also soft. And I thought that if I, you know, heard about children being abused or in settings where it was unhealthy, that it would end up hurting me so that I wouldn't like enjoy work. So then yeah. I thought about, okay, if I can't go in that route, what can I do to still um, create like healthier children and healthier babies? And I thought that it would come from healthy parenting and healthy marriages. So then oh, that's so good. Marriage and family therapist. Um, in terms of advice for people trying to get into this field, I think if you're interested in, in it at all, then you should just go for it because, well, first I'm like biased because I'm a therapist, but secondly, <laughs> I feel like the program wasn't really what I expected. Um, I thought it'd be a lot of like, you know, technical things and how to like dissect people and how to analyze people and like theories, but more so I think I learned a lot about myself. And so like, I would actually recommend it for like anybody because it like brought so much self-awareness. Like it shows like what roles you play in the family dynamic and like um, your attachment styles and what kind of like experiences shaped you and what kind of views you have because being a therapist, the first step is having self-awareness. So I yeah. think just for that, it's worth um, pursuing. Got it, got it. Thank you, thank you. And 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 then I realized too, maybe our younger guests and, and listeners um, might uh, be wondering, like, how do you even get into it? Like, like obviously there's uh, majors in college like psychology where it gives you a good background and an understanding, but like, do you go to like the college career center or do you check like out sites online or do you look for licensures or certifications to like get into a certain type of like, you know, um, program. And then there's like so many types too, you know, there's like psychiatry and, and therapy and in therapy, there's like multiple kinds. What mm -hmm. are some like high level resources you can throw out, let's say for people who are either, like interested in making a career pivot and just like mm -hmm. just getting into it or mm -hmm. like college students who um, got a psych degree and want to get into therapy? Yeah. Um, I think for undergrad, it doesn't really matter what major you have because a lot of the people in my program, they came from majors that were like very different that mm -hmm. I didn't like. So it wasn't even psychology. Um, I think in order for you to pursue therapy you can become a social worker so a licensed social worker or a marriage and family therapist um, and I think a lot of people think like marriage and family therapists like you only see like um, 
couples, but it's literally any type of relationships. And um, interesting. that basically is like everything. So what you see on TV for like therapists, that's probably like MFT. Um, and if you want to pursue something higher, like if you want to prescribe medication, then you can try to get a doctorate, so become a psychiatrist or psychologist. Got it. And then you mean doctorate as in like a PhD? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> have you have you thought about getting a PhD? How many years is that, by the way? I don't even know, but I think recently, because now I work at a mental hospital and I've seen people um, take medication and I've seen how people can change from taking medication, I thought about it for like a split second of like, oh, mm. should I pursue this? Um, but you know, I don't love school, so I don't think I see that in my future. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> got it, got it. Uh, thanks for sharing the fact that you love school. Um, <laughs> this is a big disclaimer, I think, that goes out there. Like, like we value knowledge, I, I think. But for me too, I just don't like the whole. I don't like school, so I don't know why I went to grad school myself. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, self education. I think in professional development, personal development's important, but yeah. uh, just school is school is tough. So I yeah. resonate with you there. <laughs> yeah. Cool, 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 awesome. So moving on, um, you know, uh, we both met at church, and I know that religion also plays a role in mental health, uh, either for the good or for the bad. Uh, you know, and um, Christians and a lot of folks in the Asian American community and Asian American Christians in general sometimes aren't against proper mental health treatment, but there is um, skepticism there and a lot of pushback, which includes, you know, uh, medication and certain types of therapy or even the thought of enthusing, you know, just going to someone for help when you could just rely on God or rely on your community or praying and figuring things out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I personally don't like where we're at um, culturally mm-hmm. with that. So um, could you shed some light on that uh, popular kind of like phenomenon that's existing in today's society, at least in California? Yeah. Um, I think, I can't speak for everybody, but what I hear generally about mental health is if you're Christian, then um, God should be able to help you out with all your issues. And so you should just go to God instead of getting therapy. And of course, like never take medication because that's so extreme and invasive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I like to think like, just as any other um, like medical illness, like cancer or like, you know, just even like, a broken arm or anything physical I think that the same concept should be applied for mental illness um, and mental health yeah. and I think that I was called to this um, position by God and I 
believe that if he sent me here, then he must want me to help people, right? So because individuals like me exist, um, I think that um, I should be helping people and people should be working with me to get help, um, like therapists or mental health um, professionals. Mm. Um, I just feel like um, there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes when you go to like a therapist or a psychiatrist to get help um, because you know some people say like maybe it's because you didn't have enough faith in God or you know like you're not strong in your um, walk that Mm. you need to reach out to these things and I definitely feel like those aren't the words that come from God because I don't think God speaks in a way where it's so shaming. Um, Yeah. And I've seen how some individuals can benefit from medication, like severe depression or like, you know, psychosis or delusions and hallucinations because like you're schizophrenic or, Mm. you know, some unspecified psychosis disorders. Like I believe that medication is definitely helpful and I think it's needed for somebody to function. Um, So I am now pro, but I think before I did have the same belief of like, I don't want to depend on those things. And I was actually against medication even when I was in like grad school because I was like, oh, you know, I think therapy can solve all, but I wanted to surrender what my idea of treatment looks like. Yeah, that's so good. And, it, and it's, I think, even more impactful because you were in that camp. So you're in the same space uh, as those folks who um, shied away from discussing and focusing on potential solutions and tangible routes um, to addressing um, uh, mental health, and now you're, um, you know, a strong proponent uh, for focusing on mental health and kind of raising that kind of awareness and working in the space. Um, so I guess, uh, what advice would you give for people who are kind of in your camp, where you're like not pro medication, or even for folks who aren't pro you know finding solutions for mental health and actually taking it seriously and looking for a psychiatrist or a therapist um what would you say to them Uh, like friends and family who are against it but you you know truly believe that it's a positive thing in society people definitely have mental health issues that range from mild to severe. Sometimes it's like a neurochemical imbalance in the brain that can't be fully solved with therapy alone. Um, How would you convince them or at least like set them on the right path or like plant a seed to have them change their minds? Kind of like what happened for you? Mm, I think though, for me, what changed was like personal experience um, and how I, felt like I couldn't overcome it myself. Um, And I think even for individuals that I do see at my hospital, I think sometimes it's sad, but it has to go to a point where it's pretty severe and they like hit a wall and they can't do it and they've Mm. been praying. And sometimes like, because we're so stubborn that way, it has to be that way. 
But if not, like, I think just like prayer and like, um, what, what are some of the fears and concerns you have about it, right? Um, mm. Are you thinking that it says something about your faith? Are you saying, you know, like, what, what is it that is um, the barrier between you getting this treatment? Because I would want to talk about it with them, you know, and usually it's, you know, I feel like we can do it on my own. It has to do a lot with the control. And mm. like, um, I believe that God can, you know, do all miracles and he can definitely heal somebody like that. But then I think just um, depending on community and yeah. professionals is something that God also does call us to because he doesn't want us to walk individually right so i would want to just talk about it but with people i think we'd be all different right they have their own reasons for why i would just want to talk with the individual like process what it is that they're like specifically um thinking is the reason why they shouldn't you know pursue treatment got it got it so just digging in asking more questions kind of humanizing their experiences and seeing where the root causes are in terms of like why they have these opinions and thoughts and beliefs. Um, that's really good. Um, so kind of delving more into your role. I'm so curious as to your experiences with, uh, within the MFT space, as well as your current role right now mm-hmm. at the behavioral health clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, before we get into kind of like, how you've internalized it and your experiences and how that's like manifested in your own life. Could we talk a little bit about um, like your work and like what, what you do on a day-to-day basis, maybe like very high level and like kind of like just, you know, maybe some general analysis on like folks who like come for, uh, you know, marriage or family counseling and also for like like mental health issues like schizophrenia and things like that if you work work with those folks um yeah well I only worked at the private practice for not too long and then I got into this mental hospital um and I think it looks very different from private practice because private practice is very high functioning people who literally, you know, walk themselves to get help versus people that get admitted to our hospital are, they're all on holds, legal holds. So they're on a involuntary setting, you know, um, can't leave when they want to. um, And they come in on a 5150, which is um, three day hold. And then they end up, most of them getting put on a 5250, which is up to 14 days, which is a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we do as a hospital is we want to stabilize the patients um, so that they can appropriately um, survive in the community. And the three things that bring the patients into the hospital, one is if they can't take care of themselves, so gravely disabled. And another is if they're hurting themselves like suicidal attempts or even like severe self-harm. And then last one is if they're a danger to others. Mm -hmm. So usually I see people who are, you know, in the lower functioning, um, delusional, psychotic, extremely suicidal, um, hearing voices, hallucinating, 
those are the type of people that I see. So um, I wouldn't say I do like deep therapy work with them because yeah. they're not at that state where they can comprehend that. Yeah. But just stabilizing them and then hopefully trying to set up a um, safe discharge for them to get to a location where they can maybe get further treatment or be in a safe setting. Yeah, yeah. There's a stark difference there. Could we just go over like maybe one, like first like the MFT kind of clients and patients you had and then maybe move on to, you know, your, your I guess, clients, so to speak, for 5150s and 5250s. So I guess like the big question I had for like MFT was like, you mentioned that it wasn't just about marriage and family, but were most of your clients, if you can legally divulge this information, um, were they mostly like like marriage related issues or like family related issues for your clients that you had in your short stint in private practice? Yeah, no, I mean, they're all relationship issues. So marriage and family, oh, okay. just like it's an umbrella for any relationship issues. So oh, okay. it can literally be, friend or anyone so um yeah i had you know family um therapy sessions i yeah. had individual um and i actually didn't get a chance to work with couples yet and i wanted to get into that but you know sometimes god has little um stops before i get to the final destination so here yeah. i am but yeah Cool. And then like after doing that for a little bit, um, w w did you find any like source of truth or a trend or a pattern in, in terms of like where, you know, why they needed to come to counseling or therapy in the first place? Like, did it stem from like self-denial or they didn't think it was an issue and they threw it under the rug and it, like you said, became a brick wall that they couldn't pass through anymore or, um you know was it due to more severe mental health issues or um yeah mm, i think in the private practice i saw well actually no in all my patients i feel like it has to do with like not really knowing it's just so so much confusion on their identity mm. um, and i believe like identity as like a child of god you know um yeah. a lot of people you know, like self-harm or hurt others or, or so confused or get into drugs and um, all these things because, um, you know, of the trauma or their experience with their parents and their childhood. Um, there are some, yeah. you know, that's like chemical or like TBI um, patients that literally just like some, you know, imbalances treating them that way. But a lot of the times I feel like it's just like a lot of generational hurts that was passed down and mm. I'm just having difficulty communicating. So it's just relationship issues that yeah. if you don't take care of it, kind of like, you know, you know, turns into this infection and then it can play out into other ways of coping. That's in, like, that's unhealthy. Um, because if you think about it, like self-harm or cutting yourself is coping. It's yeah. just a way of coping, right? Um, so it's how people um, deal with their stressors that aren't um, healed from their relationships, I think is what I saw. 
broadly across all my patients and clients. Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. I think that's what happened to my older brother too as well. It's just like, it's like generational and cultural difference um, with my parents. And obviously they're not really good at speaking English. So, and like my brother and I were raised in America our entire lives or like most of our lives. Um, and, and there's a communication block due to language as well. And, you know, a lot of stereotypical, but most of the times true, like stigmas in Korean culture, especially like not talking back to your elders and your parents thinking that they're always right. And them also generationally being emotionally stunted to not being able to like, express your feelings and your thoughts in a positive way and having that be accepted by the other person. You just had to do what you had to do and, and you just like kind of like go through it and thug it out, you know? Um, and for my brother, I think he experienced a lot of trauma from my parents and how they raised us. And he just wanted to be loved and understood. Um, and he didn't receive that from my parents. So he would try to kind of like make up for it with mm -hmm. like relationships mm -hmm. and also like this big sense of bravado of like, you know, um, thinking, you know, like portraying that he's like strong and independent and mm -hmm. um, rebellious and like edgy and all mm -hmm. these things. But I think, mm -hmm. like you mentioned for him personally, it stemmed from, all that trauma from my parents and just not feeling accepted and loved the way that he wanted to. So, yeah, um, yeah that's good. So I, I guess moving towards like more serial, serious mental health issues for people at your new uh, workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that there were, you know, folks that, you know, either can't, you know, realistically take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. They, have like harmed themselves or, you know, they could have potentially harmed someone else. Um, so yeah, my brother actually was sent to a 5150. Um, and, and, you know, that was a tough experience. And I guess it's like clinic by clinic, institution by institution. Some places are like well-funded and they have talented staff mm -hmm. um, that really take good care of the patients. Most, I feel like, especially if you don't have good health insurance, are not. Mm. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about, like, your experiences working with these folks um, in your particular workplace? Like, are they, like, treated well or are they treated, you know, not so well? And, like, what are their experiences, um, you know, in these institutions? And obviously, I don't want you to, like... <laughs> speak out against like the your workplace or anything like that or like call anyone out like one of your colleagues <laughs> or coworkers. but like generally what what are your thoughts on you know that um, yeah no i think that from my experience we do take care of our patients to the best of our ability um i will say though burnout is like super fast and it's like everywhere in this field especially in this um place where there's a lot of low functioning patients yeah. and um you know in our hospital we don't use any restraints um oh so my gosh. 
when patients get violent. Um, you have to think about like not only protecting the staff, but also other patients, right? Um, yeah. I think we do the best we can in our ability. Um, but there are times I think, you know, there, it's hard. Um, but I think that's why self-care is really important. Um, but I think we're only a stabilization hospital. So yeah. we have to take them back out into the community, you know, and that is right. our goal. So it's from our perspective as staff, I think we like to, you know, hope that they have good support because we can't take care of them long term, but maybe like family members who can assist with medication, assist with um, appointments, right? So those are the things that we hope for. But once that's not there and a patient says they don't want treatment, because they're an adult, they get to make their own decisions. And I yeah. think that's pretty heartbreaking because they can leave from their facility without, you know, proper care because they refuse it. Yeah. Um, and so in those ways, I think the system is like flawed, right? But also because um, I think one of the staff told me that it is a patient's right or it is somebody's right to not not get treatment you know we think like getting treatment is what's good for them right yeah but if you think about it everybody has their own life and if they want to live that way it's kind of their own right too so there's like it's so great um nothing is like right nothing is wrong and nothing is like good or bad we can just do our best and hope that you know they live the way that is healthy towards themselves and others. Got it, got it. And I think the hard part is, and then and, and I think people in like a stabilization role, such as yourself, you guys can't really go too deep with the patient, right? So in, in the sense of like, you guys have to make sure that they're okay to be released back out into society, but obviously relapse is a real thing. And like there's a limited amount of care you could give um, in three to 14 days, right? So I think preventative care is one thing, but making sure they're, you know, healed or they're on the road to successful recovery um, is pretty non-existent. It's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a really big issue. And I think once my brother got out, I think the big thing was since my parents called, um, he lost trust in my parents because um, this, you know, concept of like anosognosia, right? Which where like they lack the ability to perceive, you know, what's going on with their own condition. So um, how, how has that been for you in terms of like knowing that you're trying your best, but you're also like limited in your ability to help these folks. And as you mentioned, like, because of this, like, anesthesia phenomenon they probably don't want to receive certain types of treatment or help themselves because they're like i'm okay everyone else is crazy mm -hmm. so therefore i don't need medication i don't need help and legally in the state of california and for the most part most of the states in the u.s as an adult you're legally allowed to like refuse treatment and things of that nature unless they like fit a certain small window right mm -hmm. of like harming others self-harm 
mm-hmm. etc so how do you feel about that do you feel frustrated or do you feel like jaded or yeah no i think if you care about patients there is going to be frustration and um just anger too um that comes in terms of the system being kind of like flawed and i'm sure there's like a lot of different ways it can be improved um i think for me it it's still hard now but i think i'm you know asking god like daily um what my role is um I think that my role is to like water the seeds, but it's not to see it sprout or bear fruit, especially in this hospital where I only see them for like maximum two weeks, sometimes a couple months if they're conserved, but rarely. Um, And I think it's just to know that I can do my best and where God has placed me and to know that God has them, you know, when they leave, God will take care of them. And it's okay. Because if I don't do that, I think it would be so frustrating for me. And I think when I first started work at this hospital, this is really bad and I didn't do it, but there was a patient I really got attached to. I really wanted him to do well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew he wasn't going to a good setting. And after work, I was so tempted to drive to whatever location he was going to, to like maybe give him like a meal or something, like just because I just couldn't let go and I think like the first few weeks it was really hard and I cried a lot over it but Mm. I think after I like processed that I think God keeps reminding me hey like your role is just to um love on them for the few days that you get um wow and the rest I'll take care of and I think it's like so much better that way because I can't do a good job like God can you know so thank the Lord that he has them under you know his arms and his wings but yeah yeah thanks for sharing that by the way and i think it's really yeah it's do you know the the whole phenomenon i'll give you an example like i would go to school like high school and i would end class like you know get taught by the teachers and then i'd go to a grocery store and i would see the teacher there and and, you know it's like it's a very flawed way of thinking but i'm like wait you only exist in the classroom like you're a teacher you scold me you teach me like why are you at a grocery store and then i'm like oh wait this is a human being human beings need to eat food and therefore they go to the grocery store and like buy groceries so they can survive so they can come to class and teach and i think that like when we're on the other side as a patient as a student as someone you know going to a grocery store we kind of tend to dehumanize the uh employer or like not the employer sorry the staff or like the workers you know so i think a good thing that you mentioned was like burnout is real you know because you're in a dynamic where you're working with people who can be violent who are kind of like in their lowest of the low they can't take care of themselves and you're just trying to navigate you know work and helping out these folks but you're witnessing all these things you're you're managing and maneuvering through a lot of things that can help happen where it's like threat of violence actual violence Mm -hmm. um, attachment Mm -hmm. to some of your patients seeing 
these people who are not mentally all there and just really suffering. And of course, like, you know, you're doing God's work, in my opinion. And I think it's one of the toughest jobs out there to witness this and navigate through this and make sure that um, you're working hard. But obviously that blends kind of like the experience that you had with the one uh, patient that you were really um, connected to and drawn to. So I'm wondering, you know, being in your shoes, how has it affected your mental and emotional uh, health? And, and, and you also mentioned like self-care. So yeah, we'll start with the first question and then kind of like talk about like potential self-care techniques. I'm so sorry, what was the first question? Yeah, how has it affected your mental and emotional oh. health? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm human and I'm in this field because I'm, you know, emotional and um, I care about people. So it's hard and I take it, you know, pretty hard when tough things happen, tough situations come. But I think um, I like to see that as a positive I think before I was like so hard on myself of like, why are you not strong enough? And why are you taking, you know, why are you like crying? And I felt like, oh, you're so weak. Maybe you shouldn't be in this field. But I think if I bring that to light and know that like, that is when God is the strongest. And I think he placed me there because I can feel for people this way, um, which hopefully means that I am doing good work for these patients. Um, I think that try, uh, that gets me through. But yeah, it's definitely really hard um, when I see individuals literally so not, or like they, they do things that are very not like humane um, and stories of trauma that re-trigger my own trauma. That's really hard too. Mm. Um, but just to know that people are just like so confused and they just don't know what like God or love is that helps me to understand them I think understanding them helps me to develop more empathy for them but in terms of um, our team our team is so good and I'm not just saying this but like like if I'm going through a hard time like they definitely will help me with my cases and they'll help me process. And um, it's really good because we have, you know, supervision where we can talk about all our patients and, um, you know, get assistance on it. And hey, like burnout and self-care, they, they're definitely there to um, support me. But yeah. specific self-care, I think is to leave work at work. And mm. that's really hard in the beginning, but like just, I've been practicing just like dropping it there. And from the moment I get in my car, like, you know, I turn on like really good music and just tune it out. And then do like, I like to spend my weekends doing something like really, really fun, like always um, something that I can look forward to or treating myself because um, without that, I don't think I would be able to make it so far. Hmm. Do you, once you like tune it out and then you do, something fun like hang out with your friends and do boa runs and i don't know eat in and out or like go like 
dancing in like daisy fields i don't know uh-huh. all very good things mm-hmm. like when do you have time do you ever like do you need to like sit down and like process it and kind of wrestle with what you've been through or is it good enough uh for you personally just to uh, enjoy what like god's provision in your life of like you know mm. going out with friends drinking boba is that restorative enough or are there times where you really need to like dig deep and sit with it and kind of like process it yeah no let's be real it it stacks up um you can only tune it out for so long um i think i have to sit down with god and um really process all of that um yeah it's a lot of why questions right like why why um but i think after i have like a really good heart to heart with god and he like speaks to me maybe through the word or like a sermon or even through friends i think then i'm able to like empty that out and then go again but then mm-hmm. I can only, maybe like I'll do like a real deep crying session with God, maybe like once a month. But with like, I don't think I can go longer because I can see myself like tuning out or like um, I can see myself kind of like dissociating during like sessions mm-hmm. or I see myself like, um, like kind of, um, I wouldn't say bored, but because I'm so like tuned out and like emotionally not there, it feels very numb. Um, and so I have to check back in with what that is for me. But yeah, yeah. grace come and then I have to talk it out with God and clear it up. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to sigh that loud, but I think. So loud. Yeah. I mean, just experience. Obviously it's a different experience for me because it's personal. It's, it's like my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but like just like going through life and trying to handle everything with him is already difficult in and of itself. And that's one quote unquote patient. I mean, obviously he's near and dear to him and I, you know, unconditionally love him, but it's like a whole different story in terms of treating people with mental illness, you know, and I'm not like discounting or, not saying other illnesses are just as taxing and just as evil and just as bad, but you know, the diagnosis and the process to get to healing, I feel like it's so much more complicated and taxing uh, for serious mental health issues than it is for like diabetes or like, you know, something else of that nature where, things are slightly more concrete and you kind of know what you need to do to get to a certain place of better health, if that makes sense. Um, so I can just, I can only imagine what you go through on a day-to-day basis and you know how to navigate your own mental wellness and like emotional and spiritual wellness. But I think the one big point that you, you, brought out that's so good is that like our God is good and you know he's someone who's always going to be there that never fails and is going to be the should be the first person but usually the last person we turn to but he's so good and he's so consistent and he's so reliable that 
you know, even in your worst times of darkness where you feel so alone or you can't handle something and friends and, and, and Boba and good music can't fix certain problems and you can always turn to him. And I think that's the beauty of like the Christian relationship that we have set up um, with God. So yeah, thanks so much for being a little bit more vulnerable um, and, and really giving us some insight and what you do and what goes on and, and why you're in this field. And um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you because I really appreciate folks on the other side because I can only imagine what you guys deal with on a day-to-day basis. And just like, even when my brother was in a 5150, he, I heard he wasn't treated that well. Um, but like the social workers I've worked with and, you know, the conversations I've had with his, like, the doctor or like the therapist that he goes to um, and like even working with volunteers from uh, NAMI and, and the folks at AOTLA and I don't know, I think they're heroes to me and they're kind of like the folks that are preventing um, the support that we have for mental health, people with mental health issues from just disintegrating because I feel like America does a horrible job in helping out mental health institutions and helping people find the right type of support and solutions needed to help people like my brother and what's really holding this house of cards together. I feel like are the people and the workers that truly and genuinely care um, for people like my brother and for people with mental health issues. And um, so with that said, just like, thank you from the bottom of my heart to do what you do. And thank you also for finding ways to sustain yourself and to make sure you retain mental and emotional soundness uh, so that you can continue to um, help people in your workplace. Um, So with that said, do you have anything uh, left to say um, um, while we head towards the closing of our session? Um, I think I also want to thank you and um, people who are on the other side um, who are family members of patients or um, friends of patients um, because it's literally such a relief for me if I get a case and I know the family members care and are supportive. Um, I think it's the toughest when they're not there and they drop their patients to us um, and don't want anything to do with them. Um, I think it takes, you know, both parties to help out. And um, so I do think people like you who really care about their family members and are willing to go the distance because I feel like it would be so hard. I think harder for me to have a family member go through something like this versus me working with patients, right? Because I can go home and tune it out, but you're literally with them. um, And they're so personal to you, right? Um, Mm. So, yeah, I think all of you guys who are dealing with this, and um, I think... Um, I'm also really thankful that you had me on this podcast so that I can share a little bit about my thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you uh, for that. And 
I don't know. I feel like um, you know, it is definitely hard because we have to deal with this twenty four seven, and it's not like a nine to five or a nine to six for us. And it is deeply personal. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, with that said, do you have like maybe like one tip or advice for like family members who have? you know, someone within their immediate family that has a mental illness? Like what's like one advice that you have for like maybe listeners who have a brother or sister or parent or grandparent that has like mental issues? Any right. advice? Yeah, no, I think if it, you guys are looking for something like really practical, you know, self-care. But I think one thing that I really like to use is to think of the disorder separate from the patient. So it's mm. not like my brother is, you know, depressed, but he, my brother is suffering from depression. And if mm. you look at it as a thing that you guys are fighting together and it's just um, outside of the person, I think that wow. does give different perspective, right? Because we're in it together, me and my brother, who, you know, is dealing with this mental illness versus my brother is like you know it's just so closely associated that it's just heavier that way but yeah just kind of reframe i think will be helpful that's so good and i fall prey to that all the time because obviously there's like history with my brother and i and mm -hmm. um, he wasn't like the best brother i mean he wasn't a bad brother mm -hmm. um, and so there's so many mixed emotions and the amount of like burnout that family members go through where we tend to think of the person as the issue itself, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a great tip um, to, to reframe and rephrase and like structure this relationship as like an us first, this, this, you know, disease or this like yeah. illness that they have yeah. rather than identifying them as that illness. Mm -hmm. And, and I, yeah, it's like, I realized that my brother never wanted this. Like, yeah. sure, maybe he kind of, like, you know, if it was genetic predisposition, that's one thing. But, like, obviously, they could have done a lot of things along the way to mm -hmm. make sure that this didn't happen or they could, like, mitigate it something so it wasn't this serious. But at the same time, you know, I wouldn't wish this upon anyone. And it's not like anyone intentionally wanted to get schizophrenia. So it's like, mm -hmm. that, like, it's so interesting. Like, if they had, like, obesity or like mm -hmm. cancer we wouldn't say like oh like you know he has cancer it's like we're both fighting cancer with him together mm -hmm. um or her um yeah. so that's that's amazing advice that seems pretty straightforward but i struggle with that all the time Hard, yeah um so yeah but i love my brother i love you matt <laughs> that's his name and and we'll we'll fight this together and we're in it to win it together so thank you so much for that advice and um yeah um i guess we're gonna close off the podcast is there i mean i want to respect your privacy as well but what happens when like people have uh, questions and stuff do you like i don't know have like a blog or like some kind of like ig handle where people can reach out instagram is that okay for you to drop it? It's totally fine if not, but if people have questions about yeah, mental no. health issues. Yeah, it's fine. Um, do I say what it is right now? 
Yeah, you could, or I could drop it into the bio yeah, for. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Awesome. All right. Sounds good. Well, there you have it, Saints. Oh man, to be honest, these sessions on mental health like bring something out of me. It like hits different. So I'm trying to be a really good host. And 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 the last episode with Grace, <laughs> I personally feel like I haven't done, you know a really good job in, in, in facilitating and hosting, but I don't know. I think this has been like self healing for me as well. And I think I've thrown it under the rug for too long and uh, just opening myself up to having these conversations with professionals like yourself or others um, who have experienced what I've gone through um, has been uh, really healing for me uh, personally. So uh, uh, thank you so much for jumping on uh, the mental health series with the Saints of San Francisco podcast and Saints. Hopefully you guys got uh, a lot of good gold nuggets um, out of the session. So Michelle Jang, thank you so much for hopping out and we're getting off. Bye Saints. Hey Saints, thanks for tuning in. We'll be releasing episodes on the first three Saturdays of every month. See you soon.